Thank you, Zach and music team. Thank you for coming this morning. Take God's word, if you would, and find Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Just a little quick review here of where we were and uh, some blessings that we have this morning. You know, I always like preaching good news, don't you? Romans 1, 2, and 3 kind of lays out the bad news. What is that? First of all, Paul lays out and says, I'm here to preach the gospel to you. And then he encompasses every class of man. He encompasses the Gentile who's under God's wrath, who's living by the flesh. He gets the moral man who thinks that he's good enough by just being a good guy. And then he finally turns to the religious person and says, there's a problem with everybody, and that's this, that no matter which category you fit in, everyone has fallen short of God's glory. Remember the arrow illustration? standing back trying to shoot a bow and arrow from here to Roanoke. It's not that you can't hit the bullseye. It's that you can't even get near the target. The target's God's glory. We're the shooter. And our artillery just can't reach the mark. We fall short. But God in his great love for us, even though we fall short of his glory, provides something for us that we can access by faith in the person of Jesus Christ that we could never earn on our own. And so what is that? That is the justification by faith in Jesus Christ because the believer puts their hope and their trust in him. And now as we think about this, Paul is going to explain as a result of this what happens. You know, Lewis Perry Schaefer, the founder of Dallas Theological Seminary, for those of you who are familiar with it, wrote a little book. And in that book, he, he's get listed 20 two events that according to God's word happen in a believer's life the moment they place trust and faith in Jesus. And by the way, you don't feel one of them. They're all positional truths that are declared upon you the moment you trust Christ as Savior. When you learn about these truths, we call this maturing or growing as a Christian, when you learn these truths, this is when you become assured, you have a settled peace about what God has actually done for you in the person of Christ. And this is what gives you confidence in your Christian life. And when you understand these truths, you can live your life not in fear that God's going to judge you or you're going to do sin and then all of a sudden you're going to be lose your salvation. No, you have confidence. And because of that grace, that makes you want to live your life for Jesus. Motivational living because of truth. You trust Christ as your Savior. God declares you righteous because of his death for your sin on your behalf. He gives you the gift of eternal life. And so this is what justification is. It's an act of God by which he declares a sinner to be righteous when someone places faith in Jesus for eternal life. He sees the believing sinner as righteous as Jesus is himself. Remember me asking you this loaded question, how righteous do you have to be to get into God's presence? The answer is as righteous as Jesus. How do you receive this righteousness? Paul says it's a gift of God given to a believing sinner. He gives you his righteousness. And in exchange for that, he takes your sin. What a wonderful treasure. Now, Romans chapter 5, Paul's going to lay out here this morning 
that since we have been justified, remember chapter 3 and 4, you place your faith in Jesus just like Abraham did, just like David did, and what does God do? He declares you righteous. Okay. And the only thing you could do is trust by faith. What's the result? Therefore, Abraham and David did it. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How is that obtained? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can't obtain peace by ourselves. He had to do it. Notice what Paul goes on to say. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this justification grace, I'm interpretively reading there, in which we stand. And we, believers in Jesus, rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now what does that mean? I'm going to tell you in a minute. Not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, let me add a line here to Paul. He kind of gets off track just a little and picks it back up. Uh, over in Romans chapter 8, but here's what he's saying. The reason you can rejoice in your sufferings is because if you endure with patience and hope, there is a great reward for that. There is a reward for the believer. And do you know what the reward is? It's a greater degree of glory at the redemption of your body. We'll talk about that. Now, back to the point. Paul says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one may dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. I'll talk about that in next week's sermon. More than that, also we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. So as a result, a direct result of you being declared righteous by God when you place faith in Jesus, Paul lists at least six blessings that I counted. One man counted 12. I think he's combining a couple. I count six that every believer in Jesus can enjoy. But you have to know about them. And what are they this morning? Well, the first is peace with God. Peace with God. Now listen carefully. This is not the peace of God. You know, Philippians chapter 4, if you want to write this down, lists two kinds of peace, and here is another one. You have peace from God. You have the peace of God. But this is talking about peace with God. You know, there is a difference here about as great as the Grand Canyon. 
And here's basically how it goes. Uh, this is not a feeling. Okay, Romans 5.1, peace, is not, oh, I feel so much better now. No, that's not what he's talking about. It's not a feeling of peace of God. Instead, this is an issue where God's wrath has been settled against the sinner. Because you place faith in Jesus, God's wrath toward the sinner, which must be carried out, is taken away. No hostility. And this is what Paul declares here. Since therefore you've been justified by faith, you have peace with God. And don't think that you got it on your own, Paul goes on to add. We have this through our Lord Jesus Christ, the great sacrifice on your behalf, the one who took your wrath, the one who, while you were still an enemy of God, he died for you. That is who we're talking about this morning. That's who we're worshiping. That's who we celebrate. So Paul here says that because of your faith in Jesus, you now have peace with God, and this brings a state of peace peace between a holy God and an unholy sinner who has now been made righteous and God's wrath has been removed and you now have peace. You know, I talked to an unbeliever, that is a person who did not and has not trusted Christ as Savior, and he told me, he said, you know what? I am totally at peace not needing this Jesus. He said, as a matter of fact, the more I think about it, the better I feel. He said, I, I feel pretty good. And so I asked him a great big question. I said, uh, let's talk about your life a little bit. We talked. I said, you know, he was very hardened, by the way. I said, do you know Scripture talks about a seared conscience? You ever heard anything about that? He said, no. I said, well, do you know what a sear is? Oh, yeah, I cook steaks all the time. I said, good, you know. You sear the outside of a steak to do what? To not let the juice come back out the other side. You know, big ribeye, put in bacon grease on a cast iron skillet. You know. <laughs> Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Anyway, you, seal, you sear that steak. Well, the same thing can happen to a person's conscience. Your conscience, you can live and think and be so wicked that your conscience is seared. And listen... Nothing can penetrate outside of your own heart. You become your own God. You become your own rule of law and order, of right and wrong, of good and bad. And you're the only one on the throne. And I told him, I said, do you think that's possible that you, know, you have become Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And you're the one making the rule? He said, well, you know, I guess that is possible. I do think about myself a lot. <laughs> At least he was honest, folks. And this is what I told him. I said, you know, there comes a point in which that will end. Life is relatively short. Eternity is very long. So are you willing to say that you don't need this Jesus the moment you die and you stand before this holy God? Do you, do you think that maybe your peace will be removed then and your feeling of settledness? He said, well, that's possible. I'm still thinking. This is not what an unbeliever would think about themselves. Personal feeling is not the issue. Satisfied wrath from God is. You know, Isaiah 48:22 says, there is no peace for the wicked. And one day, 
they will figure that out. Now, there are some Christians who live their life not understanding this truth, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, why is this true? Well, first of all, they can be untaught. In other words, nobody's ever went through some of this doctrine with you and told you after you placed faith and trust in Jesus, God's wrath is removed from you. As a believer, he's not waiting for one of his children to mess up so he can hit you over the head with a hammer. No. The, the wrath has been removed. So what happens when you understand this truth of what God has done when he declares you righteous? This peace with God now can bring a feeling. And now the feeling is, oh, I see that. I have peace with God through Jesus. Whew. Now the feeling comes. So what is the result of this? If an unbeliever or if a believer has not been taught, uh, this can be a result. They can also not understand how this could happen. And that could be because of a lower view of Jesus and what he actually did in his death and what you receive as a gift. And it can also happen to a, a believer who struggles in sin. You know, even though we trust Christ as Savior, and this is what next week's sermon is about, doesn't make us sinless. As a matter of fact, in the next chapter, 6 and 7, Paul is going to talk about the believer's daily struggle with sin. And by the way, if, if you don't uh, struggle with sin, I don't know if you're a believer or not. Because most unbelievers don't even think about struggling with sin. It's a believer that thinks about it. And Paul's going to talk next week about the power available to you to overcome that and the result of it. It's possible for a believer. It's actually expected for a believer to overcome that. But, you know, that's next week's message. But sometimes believers live in sin and the Holy Spirit never gives them confidence that they're a child of God. Did you know that? It's on purpose. And that confidence doesn't come until they receive victory in their life and then the confidence returns. That doesn't mean that you don't have justification. It just means that you can't enjoy the truth of it because it's just not made real in your life. Okay, we'll talk about that in the next message. But here is the truth. When a person is justified, God's wrath is removed. Peace is a result of trusting what God says he did for you in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus is our peace. Ephesians 2, 17, he came and preached, preached peace to us who were far off. So the first blessing when you trust Christ as your Savior as a result of justification is God, you have peace with God. The holy God is satisfied with the righteous sinner and the wrath is removed. Now, I don't know about you. When I first learned this, I was in Bible college. I was in systematic theology class, 8 o'clock in the morning. Everybody's falling asleep at their desk. You know, I was kind of an older student. Man, I learned this, and I looked around to see what everybody else was doing, and some people were going, oh, my goodness. They're scr scratching on their notes, and I was sitting there going, you have got to be kidding me. Do you know how wicked I am, God? You know, here, this is me talking. You know how wicked I am? And you've declared me as righteous as Jesus, and now I have total peace with you? 
you know, looking around the room and other people over there diddling and fiddling. Some of them were falling asleep. And I thought, how can this be? How can people not be grateful for this? <laughs> I guess it never settled in their heart. But some of those same classmates who were kids at that time, you know, I was an old man when I went through. I was almost 30. That's old, isn't it? Boy, what I'd do to go back. <laughs> I, I read some of them now and keep up with them, and they are expressing this truth. They say, I never, I never appreciated this. Now I realize what I have. I want you to know what you have in Jesus. You have peace with God. There's a second blessing. What is that? And that is this, access to the Father. Now, notice carefully, and I hope you have your fingers on the text, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we also have obtained access by faith. In ancient times, a king possibly would pardon someone for a, a heinous sin that rebelled against him. And this person may be exiled to another land so that that king would spare his life. If the pardoned rebel ever returned back to the land, the king would put them under certain death. You can read about this in 1 Kings chapter 1 when Solomon and his, his half-brother Adonijah tried to overthrow the, the reign of David there and he wanted to take the throne and Solomon actually got it. They became enemies. He told him not to come back. Adonijah comes back. He's put to death. Here was the problem. He had, uh, he had access to the land, but he never had access to the king. What Paul is declaring here is that after a believer has been declared righteous by God, not only do they have peace with God, but now they have also have access. In other words, you can go right into the very presence of this holy God. And you know, when I understood this as a believer too, you know, most of the time we pray, thank you Lord for this day and food in Jesus' name, amen. We don't envision really what Jesus has done for us. And I'm convinced, and by the way, I, I learned this every year, more and more about the greatest struggle in my personal life, in my ministry life and everything else, is my prayer life. I'm going to tell you something, folks. It is a spiritual battle to pray. The moment I go to pray, 50 things come in my mind. Every phone rings, doors, I mean, it is constantly a bombardment when things happen. And sometimes when I have peace and quiet, my own mind wanders off into fields unknown. Things I haven't thought of in years. And let me tell you why this happens. It's not accidental. It's spiritual and it's warfare. Because the enemy knows that a believer has wide open access into the very presence of God. And by the way, the most powerful, powerful weapon that you and I have available to us is, is access directly into God's presence with our prayers. And how little I take advantage of that. But this is a blessing. Do you realize the moment that you pray, this is what you should really start doing, is when you close your eyes, imagine yourself taking a trip all the way up into third heaven where God the Father is, and you're right there at His throne, in His throne room, 
And he's going, yes, my child, I'm listening. What, what can I help you with? And, and we start, oh, Father, thank you for Jesus that gives me the right to even be here to talk to you. Thank you for your holiness and your goodness, your graciousness to me. Thank you for even letting me come into your presence and make this known to you today. But Father, I need you. I need your help. I've got this situation you know more about than I do. I need your strength. I need you to go before me. I need you to be my warrior and fight this battle. I need you to give me victory in this. And I'm hanging on to your throne, God. I'm letting you do this for me. This is the kind of access you have with Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father making intercession directly to the Father for you. I'm telling you what the picture of Scripture lays out. There are some religious systems that say that you as a believer cannot go to God. You have to instead come through a man and you have to bring this and do this and repeat this and all this stuff. And then that man will go and say this prayer for you. Take a big sledgehammer and just imagine a big piece of glass and hit that thing at the bottom. Let it shatter. That's ridiculous. Paul here says that through justification as a believer in Christ, you have direct access to the Father because of what He's done for you. And because of that, your prayers are right in the very throne room of God. So we should all take advantage of this. Access through Jesus Christ because of the great pardon and wrath removed and righteousness gained by Jesus. And He makes it possible for every believer to enter God's very presence uh, through what He did. I'm going to read this verse to you. When I was at home this week, I was in celebration mode when I was studying for this, and I was like, I wish I could preach right now. You know, sometimes when we prepare our messages, we're like, it's like a little bit of third heaven comes down on you. You're like, I hope I have this passion on Sunday because, man, this is good. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. Paul says, For through Him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Right into His presence. You have access to God the Father. He hears you. And so then he goes and writes to these Gentiles, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. What a blessing he's provided for us. We have access to God the Father. What a blessing, folks. There's a third blessing that we have, and that is, get a hold of this, the certainty of hope of the glory of God. Now, what do I mean by that? Back in Romans chapter 5, listen to what Paul writes. I'm down in verse uh, 2. In, in whom we, through whom we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, what does Paul mean by we rejoice in hope of the glory of God? Okay, 
Hold your place here, because I told you he gets sidetracked a little bit. He gets back over. Go to Romans chapter 8 and look in verse 18. Romans 8, 18. And by the way, I'm convinced the older you get, the more you appreciate this. When you're young, when you're young and you're healthy, you know, and you sit there and you think to yourself, oh my goodness, these old people complaining about high blood pressure and aches and bones and joints. I'm so sick of hearing about that. Don't worry. No, don't worry. Your time's coming. It's coming. Faster than you can imagine. But Paul here says that we also have certainty of hope of the glory of God. Romans 8.18, he begins to explain just a little bit of what he means by this glory. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. We talk about the beautiful fall colors and how pretty they are to us. Paul says, these beautiful trees in the creation are waiting for us to show our fall colors and our glory. I keep on reading. For the creation was subjected to futility when Adam sinned, by the way, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, but he subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I'm going to let you meditate on that for a while. The freedom of the glory of the children of God? This doesn't say the freedom of the glory of God. This is the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And by the way, this is what you are to have a certainty of hope in. And what is that? Well, let's keep on reading. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, that is... The redemption of our bodies. What is the redemption of your body? That is the hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? That means, dear brother believer and sister believer in Christ, one day you are going to be rewarded with a redeemed, glorified body. And get ready for this. The more you suffer and the more you persevere and the more you endure and the more you have hope, the greater your body will have glory. You endure well in trials in this life, you're going to have some kind of resurrection body. You want to know why Paul prayed in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians? Bring it on. I rejoice in tribulations God gives me. I rejoice in suffering God gives me. Bring it on. Bring it on. I'll act like a fool for Jesus. I'll suffer for Him because I know what I am getting. Greater the suffering and enduring in this life, the greater the glory in the next because there will be reward. 
And Paul here says that the creation itself is waiting for our redeemed bodies and then it too will rejoice and share in that redemption. And Paul says, you know what, believer? Because you've been justified by faith, you have peace with God, you have access to the Father, and guess what? You have a certain hope that one day God is going to give you a redeemed body that is going to radiate. So suffer well as a believer. Suffer well. Don't run from it. Don't run from persecution for Jesus. Don't run because somebody doesn't like what you say or how you live or what you do. Endure it. Jesus talked about this. Don't deny Him here and you will be rewarded later. I have more on this, by the way. I have to hold it for another sermon or I'll be preaching Romans chapter 8. Okay, just, just a hint. We have hope of the certainty of the glory of God which will be given to us at the redemption of our body. There's a fourth blessing. What is that? This is so anti-American. Paul says, Romans chapter 5, verse 3, make sure I'm not, I'm not making this up now, folks. You ready? You justified Christian that has peace with God and access and a hope of the certain glory of a redeemed body, you, we can rejoice in our sufferings. We can rejoice in our suffering. What is suffering, by the way? What's Paul talking about here? Is he talking about rheumatoid arthritis and bursitis and termitis and every other itis we can come up with? Or, or is he talking about the difficulty in living the Christian life and the continual battle we endure with sin and temptation and all this hardness around us. I choose the latter, although I do believe there are times that God does allow affliction to come upon a believer's body, like he did Job. We don't know all the circumstances and the instances of when this happens, but if that person endures well and doesn't complain, I think that is treated in the same way, and God will reward that person. I always like to tell the story of Ronnie Moxley, and I'll save it, but I'll just give you a hint now. He was a young man, paralyzed in a wreck after not listening to his wife. She said, go to bed. You've been driving too long. He told her to be quiet, drove out the door, wrecked a tractor trailer, was paralyzed from his waist down. He said, I, I know God did that to me. He said, I was so mad at him for the first couple of years. He said, but after I began to understand what he allowed happen, he slowed me down. He said, God had to paralyze me to get my attention. I'm going to tell you, I served at that church, that ministry for seven years, and he was my treasurer. I can honestly tell you this. I never heard that man complain one time about bodily ailments. Not once. And I spent hours upon hours with him. Never once. Ronnie died a few years ago in a car crash. And we wept for him. But in the back of my mind, as I was able to share in his funeral, I thought this is what he's been waiting on forever. To see Jesus and waiting on the redemption of his body. <clears throat> what a blessing. <clears throat> Rejoice in suffering. 
Notice what Paul says. <clears throat> when God allows suffering in the life of a believer, what is the proper response? Put your finger on the text. <clears throat> it produces endurance. Endurance produces what? What's character, by the way? I like one man's definition. Character is what you are when nobody sees you. What, what you do in the dark. That's character. And Paul says that suffering produces, uh, produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character, what does it produce? Hope. Hope. Second time he's mentioned here. And now notice, here's our next blessing. It produces a hope that will never lead to shame. Now, what does this mean? By the way, in the Greek text, you can check me on this if you want to. Get Christopher to check me. We like to have fun with each other. In the Greek text, this is not hope. It's actually the hope. What, what does he mean here by the hope? The hope that will never lead to shame. Paul is not referring to generic hope here. He's referring to the hope of the glory of God received when the believer receives their redemption body and the potential for greater glory for responding in faith to troubles and trials in life. In other words, God is not going to allow one ounce of suffering, trouble, trial to be forgotten. He will not forget. They will be rewarded, and Paul indicates here they'll be rewarded with a greater glory. You know, this is probably not the place to get into this discussion, but some believe that in the next life for the believer, when you do receive the redeemed body, they believe that one of the rewards that a believer will receive is like a greater radiant body. You know, at the Mount of Transfiguration when uh, Peter, James, and John saw Jesus and they said, you know, he, he radiated. Uh, some people argue this and say that believers who suffer will... I don't know. Don't ask me. Don't ask me. But whatever it is, it's going to be really good and there's going to be some that have more and some that have less. You know, people talk about the five crowns the believer have, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of life. You're not going to have five crowns stacked on your head, by the way. Those are metaphorical. The, the, the crown, that is the reward which is life. You will have the crown, that is the reward which is rejoicing. And so forth and so on. But it will be greater for those who suffer and endure and persevere in this life. And Paul says this, you can be assured of this. As you suffer in this life and you're overlooked or shunned or forgotten or suffer, Paul says, I want to tell you something. God doesn't. And ultimately, you will never be let down. You'll never be let down for one thing you do for Jesus. Now imagine, he says, not even a cup of cold water given in my name will be overlooked. I mean, that's why we hand out water to people, by the way, folks. Do gracious things for Him. Why? Did you do that just for a reward? No and yes. No and yes. 
Do it because he tells us to, not because we have to. And do it because we know that he doesn't forget. And yes, he, he will reward us. And if you think that's selfish, then talk to God. He's the one that set the system up. Serve him because you love him. Serve him because he's going to reward you. And he will. And you'll never be let down. Never be put to shame. You will never be put to shame because of the certainty of the redemption of your body and the reward of God for your trials and struggles. And Paul talks about a sixth blessing, a sixth one, untying the bow here. What is this? It's the blessed ministry of the indwelling Spirit in our life. Romans chapter 5, I'm going to look down in verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Look carefully, folks. We all might learn something here. It doesn't say your love for God. It says that God's love is poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. At the moment of salvation, every believer receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 again. I told you these two chapters go together. I'm trying my best not to get into it, but I have to. Romans 9, 8, 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through His Spirit who dwells in you. That's the guarantee that you're going to get a redeemed body, the Holy Spirit's ministry of indwelling. Guaranteed. And He bears witness with you that one day you're going to. Notice what else Paul says. He's the guarantee of our hope. Look down in verse 14. I can't help but read it. I mean, who wouldn't want to read this? For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, believer. <laughs> but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by who we cry, Daddy, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. By the way, do you know what it means to be an heir of God? What does God have? He has it all. What does Jesus have? He has everything that God has. And what does He say because you are a child and Christ is your brother? What does He say you are? I didn't say this. He did. What did He say? You're an heir of God and a joint heir or a fellow heir with Christ. 
You're talking about a blessing. But now hold on, I've got to read the rest of it. You ready, Christian? Okay. Provided that we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. In other words, it's possible for a justified believer to not finish well. So what Paul is advocating here is that a believer must suffer well, must endure well, must hope well, and must finish well so that we can receive this promised glory that we one day are going to obtain because of God's gracious gift of justification and endurance through the working ministry of the Holy Spirit and your yielding to Him. And that's how it works together. You trust Christ, God justifies you, gives you the Spirit, His love is poured in your heart, your life is directed by the Holy Spirit through His Word and truth, and you're to live and act in a righteous way that responds accordingly. And when you, when you receive suffering and endure and have hope, God just keeps calculating and adding to the greater glory of the reward that you'll receive at the redemption of your body. We don't deserve this. And the Holy Spirit brings us hope in the midst of our suffering as we struggle in this life. I'm in verse 17. Let me go to 18. I consider the suffering of this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's not, not worthy to be compared. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness when we're struggling with these things, when we don't know how to pray as we ought. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And by the way, if you have a paragraph Bible, you'll notice that our famous verse that we always quote is headed up in this paragraph. We know that all things work together for good. For those who love God, who are called according to His purpose, God's working these things out for good. Suffer well, so that you may receive glory well. Your hope will never let you down. God will never let you down. People may let you down. Companies may let you down. Neighbors and family may let you down. I want to tell you something, folks. God never will. He never will. Because we haven't seen the end yet. Now the greatest question I have to ask is this. Have you ever trusted Christ as your Savior and received this gift of justification to be declared right before God? If you haven't done that, according to God's Word, that is a free gift God offers to you today. And the only way you can accept that is by putting your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you are willing to do that, God will grant you the gift of eternal life. But you have to do that. If you're a believer here today and you're suffering, you've had trials going on in your life, maybe nobody knows about them, maybe some people do, but here's the one thing, the one who matters knows God. You endure well. Don't you quit. Don't you quit. 
God has not forgotten your struggle. And if you suffer well and you struggle well and you endure well, you will be rewarded. Finish well. And that's our prayer for you. Father, we come to you this morning and we pray, as you know the hearts and the lives of your people this morning, you know the intricate details of what happens and what's going on, what will happen. Oh, Father, I pray for your strength this morning, for your people, that you will help us to endure well. I think everyone here wants to finish well. We want to honor you. Give us strength to do that. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for justification to be declared righteous. Thank you for these blessings that you pour upon us because of what we have in Jesus. May we think about these. May we meditate on these. May we memorize these. May we understand really how gracious you've been to us. And may we live in light of these truths, a life that honors you. Give us the strength and the power to do that, we do pray. And help those who are struggling to endure. And may our hope, our absolute assurance and confidence that you're going to do what you say you will do, may that become a reality in our life as we await the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Until then, may we be found faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.